Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. Thanks for joining us as we continue to uh, discuss lots of different things uh, that affect Catholics and non-Catholics uh, around the world. My name is Father Daniele, and I'm joined, as usual, by Josh Sullivan. Yeah. And Matt Van Milligan. Hello. Welcome to you both. So uh, today we are going to go through a couple things here that may have been traditions in the past Mm -hmm. of the Catholic faith that maybe you don't see anymore or perhaps maybe are misunderstood and maybe have... have, uh, Maybe have gone by the wayside, not by the for the right reasons mm-hmm. or whatever. So, uh, you know, and lots of people ask us questions about things. You know, what happened to this? What happened to that? How come we don't do this? How come we don't do that? So we've kind of compiled a list of things that all into one are sort of traditions in the church. Because you know, think about people our grandmother's age or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, they remember a whole different church. Yeah. Right. And then, then there's people your children's age who have no idea that even those things happen. Exist. And then there's stuff that people always bring up, like, oh, remember when Catholics did that? Or sort of like, well, how bizarre, Yeah. right? So let's uh, go through kind of a list of things, uh, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. these misunderstood <laughs> traditions of the church, right? Well, <laughs> Yeah. All right, I got the list. So uh, very first one. So if you've ever done this, I don't know, walked into a movie theater and genuflected before you got into your, uh, your, your, your aisle as you go to see the movies. So genuflecting, why is that a thing? And why is that a Catholic thing? Well, I mean, the, the most obvious reason, any time you walk into a church, and actually, that's a good one, because uh, people don't do it as often anymore. No. You know, I, I'm very happy... Uh, uh, in our parish community, uh, we've talked about it so much that I think people have picked up the practice again. But anytime you walk into a church, you look for the tabernacle. Yeah. You look for the tabernacle. The red light. And you genuflect towards the tabernacle. Yeah, the sanctuary lamp that's beside the tabernacle indicates that Jesus is present in the tabernacle. You know, we, we a number of weeks ago, we were, we were teaching our first reconciliation, first communion uh, candidates. Yep. And so we teach them, like, when you come into the church, you bless yourself with holy water uh, as a reminder of your baptism the first sacrament you got because now they're preparing for their second sacrament first reconciliation and then when we teach them first communion we teach them you know to genuflect towards the tabernacle the, mm-hmm. this is where jesus in the eucharist is is kept and we make th- we make the connection like when you walk into your house how do you walk in and they say well i, I push the door open i jump on the couch i go on my ipad yeah. or this yeah, one yeah. kid said you know okay well what about when you go to your grandma's house yeah oh well i give my grandma a big hug yeah it's like yeah so when we go into other people's houses there's a, some sort of greeting yeah right uh, and so when we walk into god's house we, we greet yeah. we we genuflect we acknowledge the presence uh, that god is present that jesus is present in the eucharist and it could it could be as soon as you enter the church. Yeah. It doesn't have to be when you get to your pew no, or but, the aisle seat. And then when it, you leave. And then when you leave. It could be as soon as you enter your pew or, and when you leave. It could be when you enter the church, whatever. But it's important to do it. This, this is sacred space different from any other place that you are going to be this week. Yeah. And we acknowledge the presence of Jesus. And yeah. it doesn't matter if anybody else sees you do it, right? I mean, that's like you're doing it for you, your relationship with God, not for anybody else to see you. You don't like, you know, prance up and make sure everyone's watching you as you genuflect yeah. and get into your pew. No, that's why it doesn't no, matter. No. It's it's and more now the practice as far as I I understood now this is just maybe tradition too is is more along the lines too of 
if I turn my back on on the tabernacle, so when I'm getting up and I'm passing in front of the tabernacle, I genuflect in front of it a lot of times. Sure. Um, and then and then when I'm leaving, again, I'm about to turn around to walk out the church. That's when I genuflect. So if I'm walking up, if I'm going right up to the front and then going into like let's say the sacristy door or something is off to the side, or going to go through the the aisle, uh, the hallway to the sacristy, um, that's when I genuflect. I, you, but like you said, it doesn't matter when you genuflect. Yeah. You can genuflect. I mean, back. we can get into like when when mass has started, like for example, a back or yeah. things like that. You know, every time they cross, they don't have to genuflect towards the tabernacle because it's it's within the liturgy. But like, for example, we have lots of volunteers who uh, work in the church when yeah. mass is not happening or me, when I go set up my books or where people come in and clean or yeah. whatever. Like, you, you, when you pass the tabernacle, yes, you should Genuflect. acknowledge uh, the Eucharist that's there. Okay. Yeah. Next one. Um, Catholics are known for this too. Uh, wearing medals and crucifixes. So there's two kind of different things, I think. But like wearing a crucifix uh, instead of a cross, just a cross, wearing a crucifix, kind of morbid sometimes people would say. But also um, the medals. So like a ma- miraculous uh, medals or things like that. So what are the reasons behind that? Yeah. So uh, um, even, even last week, uh, uh, Father said, uh, talking about like you put up pictures of people uh, of your relatives in your house. Um, we talked about, you know, keeping saints, keeping mm-hmm. saints close to us as a reminder um, that, you know, they're praying for us or, you know, uh, as a reminder to ask them to pray for us. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of medals, medals are, they can be a sacramental um, that is is an object that, you know, facilitates prayer, that it, it's it's <clears throat> um, an avenue for grace. Um Crucifixes, on the other hand, those are, I would say, a higher degree of sacramental. Those are, um, you know, more, more specifically, you know, you carry them as, you know, uh, uh, a symbol that you are, you're a Christian, um, but also, you know, they are, they're an aid to prayer. They are, um, um, <clears throat> uh, I was going to say something else about... Um, well, when you have a crucifix on, number one, it yeah. reminds us of, like, it's a good way to remind ourselves that we honor the Lord each day. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. on us, right? So we, and that's one of the reasons why we bless these things before we put them on our body, too, right? These are not just, like, random jewelry, like random yeah, Catholic yeah, jewelry. Yeah. They're blessed items that remind us that we are Christian. I think it's a beautiful thing, especially today, for people to wear crucifixes. I see lots of young people today wearing crucifixes. Uh, I, I, at first, wonder if it was just a fad thing which it could be right uh but i I see lots of people and and more people today you know sometimes you like i remember when i was growing up people would have them tucked under their shirt yeah but more people today are wearing their crucifix outside of their shirt Mm, so it could be seen which is funny because in parts of canada there are laws about wearing religious items like that right that you i mean yeah you're you're not allowed to in certain places which is unfortunate um the, the medals, same thing. It's uh, to show the connection between the Blessed Mother, us looking for her grace. It's a good way to remind ourselves of the honor uh, of that grace that we pray for every day. Now, the other thing I will say on this topic is a rosary. A rosary should not be worn as jewelry. It's meant to be prayed with. I keep mine in my pocket all the time. Um, <laughs> Josh, I think you mentioned religious habits. They kind of wear it on their belt, hanging yeah. down on their belt. Uh, but it should not be worn around the neck like a piece of jewelry. Yeah, and they and they I would say that they wear it around their belt because they don't have pockets and they use it five times a day. Like those, it's it's a used piece of yeah. like it's like putting a Bible. If you put a Bible in your pocket, that would be the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's what I was going to say about um, uh, a crucifix. That um, that there's there's kind of a balance to strike there because it is. It is, you know, visible, um, but it, you know, it's not, it's not a status symbol. It's not something that yes. you're, you're wearing to, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to, yeah. to gain attention. Right. Um, so, 
um, you know, you want to distinguish between you know, this is a sacramental. This is, you know, has a spiritual, primarily spiritual function. Yeah. Um, and it's not for, you know, you know, getting people's attention. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, this one, we, we handled this one at one time, a long time ago in one of the podcasts, but was limbo. So talking about the limbo. Right. <laughs> and so when, at one time, um, people would say like babies would go to limbo or, or limbo is like this holding place of stuff. So, you know, so um, the thing about limbo, I think Pope Benedict XVI actually addressed uh, limbo, uh, but it's, it's, it's the place basically where someone, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. someone who's not baptized, mm-hmm. right, dies before baptism, uh, not, en- not uh, entered into heaven, nor are they condemned to hell. Uh, and then there was this like in between place where people didn't really know where to go. Limbo became a thing, and the reason why, I mean, let's be clear, it's yeah. not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. Uh, I don't know how it started, but uh, it's not a thing. And what I found recently is that people are confusing limbo with purgatory. Yeah, right. Yeah, like people because people are saying like uh, purgatory is not a thing. No, you got that confused yeah. with limbo. Limbo is a thing. Uh, sorry, purgatory is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Limbo is not. And it's it's understandable uh, that people would kind of construct the idea of limbo because it there's a, a difficulty grasping, you know, an individual who hasn't committed specific sin but still uh, retains the mark of original sin. That's so right. that isn't eliminated by baptism. You know, they, they don't, you know, by their own... Um, you know, efforts deserve hell. They don't mm-hmm. deserve condemnation. That's but right. um, we hold that you know the sacraments are are the given way to remove the stain of original sin. Um, <clears throat> so um, you know, there's there's sympathy for you know we don't want these people to go to hell. So you know they construct this idea of this this waiting place or this you know in between place where you know it's not as bad but also not as good. Um, and it, but as you said, Pope Benedict. You know, clarify that you know this actually isn't part of our of our understanding, our faith, our, and yeah. and just a reminder for anyone in that situation, unfortunate situation. Let's say like a child that's born and mm-hmm. dies before baptism. Yeah. You know, that's a sad for yeah. parents to undertake. Uh, but you know, we have the sacraments as as a as a gift from the Lord who gives mm-hmm. us these beautiful things that we have tangible things in our life to help us through our faith life. But the Lord is not bound by yeah. these sacraments. And so to you know, mercy often parents who yeah. are afraid about what's happening with their children if they haven't been baptized. We can't put God in a box like that. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Okay, so here's another weird one. Um, now, <laughs> um, the flagrum. So this is one that I think was made famous by... Um, uh, the Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. Code. Yeah. yeah, Da Vinci Code. And so if you remember, there's a guy that's on there who's like a zealot um, trying to hide secrets and and uh, because of the book and because of the movie and stuff, I think a lot of adults, if they've seen it, and one of the things he did was he would beat himself with a whip, uh, like a handle with a bunch of, like a cat nine tails type thing, and, and and whack himself on the back until he starts bleeding. Now, from my understanding, like so, that when when you see people, um, I'm going to say, self mutilating in that way, uh, a lot of times it's attributed to Catholicism. Hmm. So why is that the case? What's going on there when we when we have um, when they're doing yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, it's actually it's actually very difficult to say because th- there is a tradition in the church of um you know uh penitential acts. So yes. you know you you 
you know, you go with, you, you fast for a day, you go without food. Um, you know, it, very few people would say that this is kind of self-mutilation, yeah. but there's kind of a gradation of, of disciplines that, you know, uh, uh, um, John the Baptist wore camel hair. Camel hair is uncomfortable. This mm. is something that, <laughs> yeah. um, so, and um, I'm not sure if it was at St. Thomas More would wear like a uh, underneath like his underneath yeah. his his um, his normal clothes he would wear something uncomfortable as an act of penance but there's there's kind of a gradation of like uncomfortable to actually ha- causing yourself harm um, and I yeah. think that there are kind of differing perspectives on um, you know what what degree is acceptable but I think I think um, if I'm not mistaken um, th- this particular um, discipline was was kind of condemned by the church. I believe it was like something like the 1500s or something like yeah. that. It was in the 15th in. century. It was around yeah. the year 1414 yeah. uh, that uh, the church had said, "Hey, out." Yeah, uh, that's that's, that's no longer good anymore. And actually, while we're talking about this, is I know after Pope John Paul II died, people were saying that he practiced self mortification. Including flagellation, I gotta be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flagellation. <laughs> uh, so there was this thing about like, well, oh, Pope John Paul II is so holy. Then that's if he's practiced flagellation, then maybe we can. And I, I know the Vatican came out at that time. This is around 2010, uh, saying that mortification should be practiced in moderation. Yes, and mm-hmm. under the guidance of a spiritual director. That's the big right. One. It's not just to do so for whatever. Mm-hmm. And they they actually uh, said like if if you're cultivating penance in your life, yeah. as a which is the Christian tradition, we should all. Uh, do some form of penance. They highlighted fasting, yeah. discipline, yeah. or asceticism. Uh, not necessarily uh, things that cause harm to the body, because you know the church does teach that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our human body should be respected. So inflicting wounds, for example, on ourselves is is not mm-hmm. really the way to practice mortification or self-discipline or penance. And I, and I think what you said, two key word there, spiritual advisor. Yes. And that's and that because we, we can't, if we're in, if we, first of all, if we are doing it um, without the spiritual advice, sometimes we need that outside look to see that this is okay or this is not okay. Like our, maybe our minds aren't in the right set to, to be able to judge whether this is okay. So having that spiritual advisor um, and, and having someone that's following that spiritual journey and then, and then listening to that spiritual advisor. The Desert Fathers were one of the ones that stood on poles for days mm-hmm. at a time, you know, and they would just stand there on one foot on a pole. And, and so people were like, why would you allow this to happen? Like, why would, but, but under spiritual advice, you know, like you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not doing it just because you want to harm yourself or that you're, you know, you're doing it, offering it up for penance. And it's, and under very strict regulation and, um, again, spiritual advisors. So yeah. just a fact check there, just, uh, yeah. it, it was actually, uh, Pope, uh, Cl- uh, Pope Clement the sixth in 1349, 13. who said flagellation was no good. And then the council of Constance in 1414 that began in 1414 that said, Hey, flagellation is no good. So just fact checking myself. Yeah. Cause I threw out that date so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So another big one, uh, Catholics are known for is fish on Fridays. So where did that come from? Why don't we do it anymore? Like Fish Fry Fridays, that's always a big thing. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, if you talk to anyone today, they'll say that uh, that's an old thing, that the church doesn't ask us to do that anymore. And that's not necessarily true. So mm-hmm. I just want to be clear on this. And where does it come from? Well, it comes from canon law. Like yeah. People a lot, uh, people don't know. Like, yes, okay, we have, the, we have the, the scriptures, we have the tradition of the church, we have the catechism of the Catholic Church that lays out the teachings of, of our faith. But we also have canon law, 
And I know people may not know this, but Catholics are, are bound to canon law, right? To the yeah. law of the church. Uh, so in canon 1251, it actually says that abstinence from meat or from some other food as determined by the Episcopal Conference is to be observed on all Fridays unless a solemnity should fall on a Friday. Of course, if there's a solemnity, that's when I, we all rejoice and mm-hmm. whatever. So let's just make it clear. Friday is the day that Jesus died. So just like Sunday is the day of the resurrection and we're obligated to be at Mass to celebrate the resurrection, right? That's what we do when we come together for Sunday Mass. We don't just ignore every other day of the week. No. We, we say, like, Friday is the day that Jesus died. Friday is the day that our Lord, our God, who God made flesh, was taken away from this earth, was was killed, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's an act, there's a, there's a penitential theme to every Friday, it's very difficult today because Friday is usually like the end of the work week and people are like heading home for a drink or maybe going out to a party or whatever it might be. So it's hard in our culture to look at Friday as a day of penance. Mm-hmm. But Friday is the day of penance because that's the day the Lord died. So abstinence from meat as a little sacrifice, right? Because Jesus gave up his flesh. And so we give up fleshy foods. That's was sort of the connection. Yeah, and also comes. It also comes because a lot of times, and what you were saying, a, a, a form of penance. Um, meat was also one of those things that you had. You didn't always have meat with every meal. You had meat a lot of times at uh, celebrations, uh, mm-hmm. and so you would have like you would you would kill a fat calf, if you will, and you'd have the meat from that, or you would, and so. Um, but, but fish was readily available as protein, and there's other sources of eggs and whatever else of protein, and so people would kill. Uh, kill animals the, for the meat more so in the sense of party if you weren't a king yeah. or you're just a peasant you only had meat on certain days and so it wasn't a day of feasting and so that's kind of one of the other ways like Friday is that day of penance it's not a day of feasting so you shouldn't be having meat on that day and that's kind of where the tradition also developed from was to say no not to this but um, what they realized was as it came to North America specifically um, that we didn't have fish so readily available as we do in the European countries let's say and so it was it was a little like now you're eating meat f- for every meal or every, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't now about a party. It wasn't about that. You're just, this is the only source of protein we have. Yeah. You know, we have cows, whatever else. Um, and so having that, um, so they, the bishops in the United States and Canada, I believe, have changed, changed like th- that's the canon law. But then they took that exception part of it, right? Yes. So, um, you know, so Canon 1250, uh, the one before that, says the penitential days and times in the universal church are every Friday of the whole year and the season of Lent. Lent. That's what it says. That's Canon 1250. So 1253, after 1251, abstinence from meat, says the conference of bishops can determine more precisely the observance of fast and abstinence as well as substitute other forms of penance especially works of charity uh, works of charity and exercises of piety in whole or in part for abstinence and fast so um, you know meat is no longer maybe is no longer a challenge for people to yeah. eat or a form of penance so the the, the conference of bishops can can uh, suggest something else yeah. in Canada they have suggested that you are to do an act of charity in uh, in lieu of eating meat like if you're going to eat meat that you should do an act of charity i really think we should take this more seriously yeah because uh and and i say that to myself too Mm -hmm. like how many times are you 
halfway through a chicken wing on a Friday night, and you're like, <laughs> oh, why did we go for chicken wings? Yeah. Um, or whatever it might be, you know? So I say that to myself, too. And then you say, okay, I know I hear people, okay, I'll just do something else. I'll do something else in lieu of this meat. And how, like, do we do it? Like, yeah. what yeah. what exactly are we doing? I think just like, like, most of us would say, well, oh, I won't miss Sunday Mass. Like, that's my mm-hmm. obligation. Unless there's something serious, I won't Should miss Sunday Mass. Yeah. So it's also a serious... Uh, well, it's the law. It's the law of the church <laughs> that we should be doing something in abstinence uh, on Fridays. On Fridays. So maybe that's an opportunity for us, you know, me, you, you, uh, those listening. Maybe it's an opportunity for us now to start, sort of start to be more focused on that. Perfect. Yeah. All right, I agree, and I think I think that's one of those things. It's also a witness, I think, to other people when they mm. when they see it and when you don't have meat. Because I even know in my own life, like it is. So we used to do youth ministry on Friday every time, and so that was kind of my like sacrifice. Was I'm going to go volunteer at youth ministry? <laughs> um, that was your sacrifice. Got to be with these young people. It, 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 it becomes <laughs> as I get older, it becomes more and more a sacrifice. But um, the but the idea was, and so that but but. In not having meat, it is a witness. It is a witness. Like even a lot of my friends that that, and then I'm like, like you said, chowing down on a chicken burger or something, going, yeah, oh, ooh, ooh. it's Friday. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah, because I forgot. Now, can I just add? I know yeah. we were about to move on, but I'm going to yeah. add something. So, if it's supposed to be a form of penance, right? If it's if it's supposed to be something uh, that we recognize, like today is different. Friday is different. The Lord gave up His life, breathed His last breath on this day. Maybe it's something in your own life mm-hmm. that would really benefit your spiritual life. Like maybe it's not meat. Like give up maybe, TV. Maybe yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe today you could say, okay, the the conference of bishops has said I can do something else. What is what would benefit me in my own spiritual life on Friday? That every Friday I'm going to do this. So maybe that's something to reflect on mm-hmm. and say, like, okay, uh, I <laughs> I will eat meat, for example, but. I'm abstaining from the internet, yeah. or I'm abstaining from television, or I'm abstaining from social media, uh, what, whatever. Because yeah, yeah. maybe that would be, like maybe eating meat is not such a big deal, and yeah. it's not really a, a sacrifice for you. Yeah, or or like like we said about the the crucifix, or the like. There, there's there's a way of doing it, and like you know, it's it's a it's a point of pride, or it's a, it's yeah. a you're doing it in a self congratulatory way. Like look at how self disciplined I am. I can go without meat. But like if you're actually um, <clears throat> looking for that to bear spiritual fruit, uh, again, you have to come come at it with the right right perspective and yeah. agreed. And t- taking something on, like you kind of suggested, like like maybe going to mass for Friday or mm-hmm. go, or or doing the rosary on Friday if you don't yeah. do the rosary daily or whatever. Like there's those extra things that you can take on as well. Not only just giving up, but taking on. Um, you know, um, running a youth group or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what a penance for you. <laughs> I tell you. Okay. Um, oh, here's a good one. Headscarves in church in mass. And so um, a lot of times for headscarves, you see a lot of times men take their hats off when we go into church and, oh wi- and women put heads or wear, can wear hats in the church or sometimes used to wear the headscarves. Um, it's different than tradi- traditions like uh, the Jewish tradition where like men would actually mm. cover up their heads and, you know, and women, women would take off their shawl. Uh, and so what is, what is the deal with that? And it, like, is it something that... Um, we we ask people to do or we don't. What's the tradition behind that? What is the misunderstood tradition yeah. of headscarves? Um, so uh, the the reason uh, for you know uh, men remove their head coverings going into a church and women 
are permitted to put on a head. They're not yeah. required to put on uh, a head covering. Uh, but the reason for both is humility. Yeah. So, right. so <laughs> for men, um, you know, if, if <laughs> um, um, you know, we're, 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 we're not able to cover our shame. Um, yeah. but <laughs> for women, you know, um, I, uh, is bald spots, yeah. yes, is it, it's uh, a song, song of songs where, um, you know, uh, a woman's hair is, yeah. uh, is, you know, her beauty and her, uh, you know, all these things. So like for a woman to cover her hair, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here, you know, to put on a show. I'm not here to get your attention. We're all here to give our attention to yeah. uh, the mask. To not be a distraction then So, you know, both both expressions, a man removing his hat and, you know, a woman covering her head, you know, should be, again, uh, uh, with the proper motivation, should be an expression of humility. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And uh, also, it was, um, I know a couple weeks ago we talked about the, the 1917 Code of Canon Law, the 1983 mm. Code of Canon Law. In the 1917 Code of Canon Law, it, it specifically stated that men inside or outside a church while they're assisting at sacred rites shall be bareheaded. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and it said women, however, shall have a covered head and be mod- modestly dressed, especially when they approach the table of the Lord. Mm. So this was something that fell gradually uh, into disuse, right? And actually, in the 1970s, there was a judgment issued by the Congregation of the Doct- for the Doctrine of the Faith uh, that basically said that chapel veils were not a matter of faith. And so it was no longer mandatory for women mm-hmm. to wear them, right? And it and it w- that 1917 Code of Canon Law that was written there wasn't reissued in the 1983 Code mm-hmm. of Canon Law. So there are, I know, uh, women in humility, like mm-hmm. you said, it, yeah. it was an act of reverence. It was an act yeah. of reverence and humility. So there are some women that wear a veil when they come into the church. Uh, men, of course, should take their hats off when coming into the church. Now, uh, another issue would be like, how do you tell a man who uh, to take off his hat? Well, I think, I think we just have to be honest with people, right? Like anywhere else we go, like when you come into a the- when you come into a, a a theater, like a play theater, like a like not like yeah. a movie theater, but like a yeah, yeah. you know an arts theater, uh, they tell you certain things. You can't bring outside drinks in here. You can't uh, do this. Uh, you have to whatever. And people dress up for shows or for Broadway or yeah. for whatever. So I, th- I think it's just to be nice to people and say, you know, when we come into this church, we ask that men take off their hats. So excuse yeah. me, take off your hat. Just the other day, I had to say to someone, your coffee stays outside of the church. Yeah. Right. You just have to say it because yeah. I, I see a lot of people say, oh boy, look at that person that brought a coffee into the church or look at them wearing a hat. But they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. Uh, so let's approach them and say, I'm just going to ask you to take off your hat. We don't have to make a big scene. Mm-hmm. Hey, you take off your hat. Like, you know, we just have to, <laughs> we just have to be nice about it. And it, I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and people are just like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Now, uh, I'll tell you about something that happened. You know, there was someone uh, that came in. Uh, they were of a different religion. Yeah, they were wearing a head covering. Yeah, this is a diff. This is a different. Yeah, exactly. This is a different issue because they're doing it out of devotion, not because you know. Yeah, and you know, this person told me personally that you know they don't have a place of worship in this town uh, for their own religion. So, that, but they would like to worship. <laughs> they would like yeah. to be somewhere where people are worshiping. Okay, come on in. You don't, like we're not yeah. asking people to take off their head covering if they're uh, of another religion. Now, if they're wearing a baseball cap or mm-hmm. a toque or uh, yeah, yeah, that's like a, a scarf, story. like in the winter, a scarf wrapped around their head or something, that's totally different and we should ask people to leave. Now, we don't make a scene. If someone says, no, I'm not taking this off, well, how far do we push it? 
Uh, what about toupees? <laughs> doesn't mean, that kind of uh, just defeat the purpose remember like, what the 1917 code said it said <laughs> yeah. men in a church or outside the church shall be bareheaded yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> let's yeah. take that toupee off see, all right see humility <laughs> yeah yeah if anyone has uh pointers towards a good toupee let me know toupee yeah toupee. all right okay so next one um relics okay this is an interesting one because so we talked uh before about um uh, not scattering someone's ashes around just because ashes would be like a body part so you, you don't uh, once when you go to bury somebody you don't want to sp- just spread their ashes all around or you don't want to put it around your neck and like everybody wear a piece of the ashes because the church requires that the body be buried or be in one yeah. at the same time the church then takes relics, and not specific, specifically first or second degree relics, which are bones or hair pieces of saints, and then they distribute them all across the church. <laughs> so there seems to be a contradiction there. Yeah, um, and it's something that I, I had trouble with um, kind of uh, coming into the church or something that I needed to process. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm still kind of processing. So I'll just kind of explain yeah. <laughs> kind of where, uh, where I've gone to. So like for, yeah, for third degree relics or even a lot of second degree relics that are, you know, clothing or um, of, this makes perfect sense. You know, this belonged to the saint. This, this is something that, you know, the saint touched or yeah. um, that. But we have pieces of bone of holy people in, in altars, in whatever, and, and and this isn't something. This isn't a tradition that you know your your weird aunt thinks is is a good thing. This is something that's pretty established in the tradition of yeah. the church. Every Catholic altar has it. Um, and you know, in, in in my searching, you know, I haven't been able to find a an encyclical letter saying you know this this is how we've you know preserved the integrity of you know the remains of of deceased saints. Um, while at the same time, you know, uh, this pro. Uh, um, uh, continuing this practice of you know having pieces of bone uh, distributed um, in in different areas you know being encased for for veneration um, and uh, the the kind of point that I've gotten to is that um, you know the, the church isn't in the business of kind of peddling relics or you know there yeah. there isn't a you know um, a component of some dicastery in the Vatican that's you know just their job is to hack up old saints and distribute them. So um, a lot of times, you know, the the saints themselves, uh, you know, whether they're martyrs, um, that their remains have been discovered and dismembered or, you know, distributed. We gave an example uh, last week that, you know, these are already kind of held. And and sometimes, um, you know, these these pieces were relics, um, you know, before they were before they were buried or before they were, they were held up by the community. They were, um, um, you know, Franciscans have a tradition and, you know, we could have this as a kind of a whole separate topic of carrying around um, human skulls, you know, yeah. um, uh, as, as Captions. a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, remember, remember death. Like that's, that, that was, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and that was, you know, a, 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 an obscure tradition or a strange tradition of the church that you're like, okay, how do you reconcile this with preserving the dignity of the dead? Um, and, you know, this isn't, um, it's, it's important to note that, you know, the church isn't going and digging up old saints and cutting <laughs> yes. them apart for the sake of relics, that, yeah. you know, relics are, um, you know, a byproduct of, you know, in some cases, martyrdom, um, in some cases, you know, just just um, um, the, the way that, you know, a, a saint was buried or preserved um and you know it it, it is a 
um, in the same way that, you know, icons and crucifixes and other sacramentals um, can be an aid to worship, can, you know, be a, you know, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something that, you mm-hmm. know, somebody made up at some point. There is, you know, this is a, a, um, an object, a physical object that represents, you know, uh, you know, the real faith of an individual. Um, so uh, again, it's 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 still and 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 I do kind of trust the discernment of the church that this is an established pro, um, um, practice. Right. But I would like to see an encyclical at some it's point, or you know, <laughs> some, something something that kind of bridges these two, um, because for some people it is it is a bit kind of concerning, or it's something to think through. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. On on a different note. Um, it's one of the other Catholic traditions that people don't quite understand. Incense came up. Hmm. So why do we use incense? You don't see incense all the time. You see a lot of times incense at very specific masses. Um, Father Daniele brings it back a lot more than maybe some other priests have had it, but like at specific solemnities and those types of things. And it's nice that because if you have enough altar servers, you can do it a lot more often, right? But um, what is the purpose of incense? Why do we use incense? I mean, is it just to make people smell nice because at one time we didn't have deodorant in the church and we're all stuffed in there? <laughs> like, what, what's the purpose behind incense? Yeah, um, yeah so that, that, is, that is one of the things. There's, there's a very kind of practical um, uh, origin for incense in the way that we use it now. Um, there's also kind of a, a throwback to the Old Testament sacrifice where, you know, it's the... Um, you know, the <laughs> the burning of the meat, the whatever, it's like it's a pleasing aroma for the Lord. So, you know, you have, um, you know, these these two things being tied together. You have kind of um, um, animal sacrifice as a yeah. means of atonement and, you know, the, the, the smell of burning meat being an offering um, uh, to God, um, you know, bring that forward. You know, um, Christ did away with uh, ritualistic animal sacrifice, um, but we still want to retain that, you know, a pleasing odor is, you yeah, know, um, right. a, a symbolic expression of our of our worship. Prayer, prayers rising like smoke to God, yeah. and that yeah. kind of thing too. Yeah, there's a there's a there's that element of it. Of our, our prayers rise to God. Also, the use of incense in the, in the ancient world was common, especially in religious rites, mm-hmm. right, to keep demons away. Uh, <laughs> we don't know when exactly it started in like the liturgical rite, but we do know that the the Jewish people used incense in their temples, so Mm -hmm. we just think the Christians sort of adopted it, right? But we, the purpose of incense is that it's purification, Mm -hmm. sanctification, right? So that's why at different parts of the Mass, we incense, we incense the altar when we come in. We incense um, the, really we incense where where God, where we recognize the presence of God, right? So the Eucharist, the priest, the Word of God, and last one is, the people. I thought yeah. you were going to jump in. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. So we incense those things. And during solemnities, uh, it sh- it, I mean, it should be used. The, I don't know <laughs> why I think it's, this is just me yeah, yeah. surmising. Okay. Maybe I even shouldn't do this, but probably the reason we got rid of incense on Sundays, why well, you don't see it regularly, is because people complain. People yeah. complain. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they see the thurible come out. <laughs> you already hear them coughing, and we haven't even lit anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but but it, it adds to the solemnity. It really it does. It adds to the solemnity of the Mass. And uh, on solemnities, we should be using it. Every Sunday is a solemnity. There are certain solemnities we should be using it. And perhaps that's from the people's complaints, but also from the priest's part. Probably, ah, oh, it takes too long yeah. or whatever. It doesn't even add that much time to the Mass. 
Or like you mentioned, maybe you don't have servers to do it. Maybe yeah. it's a practical thing. Yeah. Like the priest just can't go around incensing himself. He needs he needs handlers. He needs yeah. servers. He needs people who are going to help him. So there might be a lot of reasons. But uh, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing. We 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 process the place where where we where God is present in the liturgy. But then you you look to uh, you know at a funeral, we 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 incense the body, mm-hmm. uh, the casket around. I mean, the use of incense is just adds a sense of solemnity, I think, to the mass, and it, and we shouldn't just ignore it. Yeah, I was gonna say it also. Got, I remember just talking to one guy who wasn't a Catholic; he was Protestant, but he was he came to an adoration ceremony uh, service, and uh, he said, "Well, this makes like now the Eucharist makes sense to me when you celebrate it like this, which was with the incense and was with mm. the everything. Like he's like, why aren't you guys doing this every Sunday? Exactly. And that, I mean, like to him, it makes sense that this is what it's supposed to be, the fullness of I'm gonna say the mass. You know what I mean? With the incense and everything else. And he's like, why aren't you? I was like, well, kind of you can, but we don't. But you know, like it was kind of one of those. No, no, this is something that we you know. That, and and there are some churches that do right and that do Absolutely. use it. In fact, Absolutely. incense is is known almost as uh, sightseeing points in certain churches, like uh, around the world, for the way that they swing the the incense. Um, the Church of Santiago de Compostela at the end, the Church of, the, of Saint James at, at the end of the Camino. Camino yeah. That big. If if you haven't seen it, Google incense at Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, it'll be worth it. Okay, one last real quick one. Very because, quick. Very quick. Okay, Our Father. Here. The Our Father is said two different ways. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. At the end, um, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catholics. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory. So a lot of times yeah, Protestant, yeah, yeah, yeah. Protestants sorry, uh, seem to do the, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory yeah. forever and ever. Amen. But Catholics seem to stop at that first amen. Yeah. Right. Uh, so where does that come from? Like really? how You can tell those two r- yeah. really quick. We, we stop at the first amen because Jesus stopped at the first amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. um, and, and I say this as... as, as you know, a post-Protestant, um, that, you know, um, and it's, it's actually very, very ironic that the, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, uh, uh, forever. Amen is actually, you know, not, um, not Not taken out of scripture. Um, it's actually, um, just taken from the liturgy. So, you know, as, as Protestant, um, um, you know, uh, what, what, uh, and, and 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 to be fair, there are different degrees of removal of of Protestant worship from uh, from the liturgy. Um, but you know, Father says um, after um, the Our Father, deliver for, us, Lord, from every evil. That yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the um, uh, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory yeah. are yours now and forever. Right. Um, that that was just kind of absorbed into the Lord's Prayer, you know, in, 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 in kind of a, a practical or traditional way. Um, so, you know, for many Protestants, that just becomes the, the tail Father. end of the Lord's Prayer, right. even though that that's not the, the so version the Lord, of... the Lord taught the prayer and the first Amen. The other part that Protestants include at the end for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory actually comes from the from, Mass. From the Mass. From the liturgy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, well, right. we're way over our time, but uh, thanks for... Uh, you know, going through this list of things. And, you know, maybe there's things out there that people, uh, we didn't touch on today that people still have questions about. So you can comment on them below in our video or on our social media, or you can send us an email at askus at thecatholicbuzz.com and we'll uh, try to answer them or maybe at least uh, Matt will. So that's all the time we have <laughs> today. Uh, so for Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan, my name is Father Daniele. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Buzz. 